0: what's up party people you just scrolled on to the damn good day show you saw we had a new episode and you're not ready for it but if you are you're about to learn that it is a damn good day to have a damn good day and before we jump into an all-star guest today you guys are gonna be blown away i just can't believe we we keep bringing on these all-stars let's talk a little bit about idea flow versus execution you see a lot of people have great ideas i'm sure a lot of people thought about the whole electric vehicle deal they thought about things like ways i remember i had this idea when i I gonna call it wherethecops.com. You know, the idea is that a map service would tell you where the cop's at, right? And notify you in this kind of people sharing thing. But I never did anything with it. It was just an idea. Three, four years later, you see Waze does just that. Everyone just helping each other out. I love it. But everyone has great ideas, but most people just don't execute on it, right? Like you have a great idea for a YouTube channel. You want to start a cooking show. Maybe you just want to go do your laundry right now. You have these ideas, but you don't execute. You see, you can talk about ideas all you want. You can share your ideas. I I remember when I was younger, I I would be a little bit more wary of sharing my ideas because I know Janice was going to take my idea. And, you know, make millions of dollars. I had this really small mindset, but the truth is you should share your ideas with everyone because executing and on an idea is a whole different story. It's really easy to fall in love with the outcome, right? You're like, mm-hmm, I'm gonna be the CEO of this business. You know what I'm saying? What are people gonna think about me? Oh, this sounds so much fun. But until you get into the weeds, you start making the content. You start going through the days of not getting paid. You start going through the motions of just getting rejected and you have to christen your mind to do that again and again and again and execute your plan your vision doesn't come alive for six months a year two years most people aren't down with that executing is everything I love doing podcasting because it allows me to do something that I can execute on regardless of everything else that's happening in my life are you executing on your goals and your dreams and what you want to do or are you just kind of not i challenge you to use this video and use this podcast as the fuel the straight lighter that's just about to ignite your idea turn it to life and just get started you know if you want to start the succulent business you go get those supplies to make your first succulent go on etsy start a store and try to sell a succulent once you get one you'll have a better idea how to get two and now i am so excited to introduce today's guest rob Wolf. Absolute all-star. I actually first learned about Rob Wolf when I heard him on my favorite podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. Shout out Joe Rogan, a legend. And being able to connect with him and speak to him on my show was was really an honor and a gift. And, and I'm just very grateful for the experience. Now, let me tell you about Rob. Rob is a former research biochemist, along with being a two-times New York Times best-selling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. Rob has transferred the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world via his top ranked iTunes podcast. You got to check it out, his books and seminars, and also he holds a Brazilian jiu-jitsu belt. Rob is also huge into fitness. He's a former California state powerlifting champion as well as a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's just a really stand-up guy. They sent us some of their products before the podcast. I've been using them. We talk a lot about them on this show, and I just love when people are authentic, they do business correctly, and they're just genuine good people. So I'm really, really excited to jump into this. Without further ado, episode 129 with Rob Wolf. Let's jump into it. And we're live. Rob Wolf is in the building. It's so great for you to be on. I've been drinking your product for the past freaking three or four weeks, getting my electrolytes in, and I'm feeling amazing. So I'm glad to
1: get and sit down with you. Welcome to the show, man. Huge honor to be here. The cocaine in the product really facilitates the, uh, you know, the uptake. So yeah. 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 Ever since I moved to Miami, it's all
0: just kind of coming full circle for me. <laughs> Who would have known? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Shocker. So there is so much to unpack here because you have that, like, I know one thing, Personally, with me, is that I've had uh, a bunch of different gut issues and stomach issues in the past. So I could talk for hours when it comes to gut health and all the different things that are good for us. I would like to start because I think it really gives a good background on who you are and what you've done. And, and, and right off the bat, I'm not even quite sure exactly what you do, but I do know that I got a product sent to my house and I'm trying it
1: and using it. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You and me both. I'm not entirely sure what I do either. So that that's fine. <laughs> but you seem like a man of many
0: different uh, choices and hobbies and, and you seem very multifaceted. So maybe just give everybody a quick understanding of Rob Wolf. And, and what are you focused
1: on today? Sure. I, I mean, a really quick background. Uh, I had an undergrad in, in biochemistry, was looking at either medical school or a research track more in autoimmunity and cancer. And it was right around that time I developed a, a case of ulcerative colitis so bad I nearly died from it. And kind of a long story around that is that uh, the path to figuring out what I needed to do to heal that situation got me into this kind of paleo low carb diet uh, arena. I ended up writing a couple of New York Times bestsellers in the the kind of paleo diet genre There really wasn't a paleo diet tag before I I wrote my book. One of my mentors, Lauren Cordain wrote a book in 2001 called the paleo diet. And then it kind of you know, a low simmer, but I ended up getting attached to the CrossFit scene very early on. I co-founded the first and fourth CrossFit affiliates in the world and then ended up working for CrossFit HQ for a number of years. And so I was kind of their nutrition guy. So this kind of, you know, food quality, appropriate protein, you know, whole food kind of, kind of deal kind of grew in lockstep with, with CrossFit and have gone on to be a herb early stage investor in a couple of different companies like Thrive Market and Beekeepers and a couple other uh, notables. And mainly now my, my focus is uh, Element, which is the electrolyte product that, that uh, we, we sent you and the, you know, the, the cocaine in the first batch again is, is, it, you know, helps really sink the the hook in. But I also have a platform called the Healthy Rebellion where we're trying to get a million people out of the sick care system. So that kind of globally, is what I've been up to over my shoulder. You can see a a thing for a sacred cow. I wrote a book with my my co-author and also did a film called Sacred Cow, which tries to get into the ethical environmental and health considerations of a meat inclusive food system. So we try to unpack this whole big story around climate change, how animals influence that story, the ethics, the the health consideration. So I, I do wear a couple of different hats. Sometimes I would probably be better off just staying in one, one lane, but I, I do have a lot of interests, but they they kind of intersect in this kind of health and sustainability world. Right. But the, your, your next mission is always kind of
0: a reflection of the previous one, just expanded upon, and you're trying to tackle yep. it from every you know, angle such as Elon Musk trying to take down climate change in four different facets. Right. So all in all, though, you want to improve people's health. You want people to feel better. You want to help. And and that's really what you've done a great job on. And personally, I'm really interested in the fasting thing, because fasting is just incredibly good for your body. Uh, Intermittent fasting to start. But I know personally, I have an issue with low um, stomach acid and mobility, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. And I also love food. Right. So like I eat a lot. And that's not good for those two combos. So fasting I found has been like crucial for me, but I'll go 48 day fasts. And that third day I'll feel like such ass and I'll just be drinking water. And it was funny because I was about to start a fast and then your product shows up in the mail. And I normally don't just like promote people's products, but it was interesting because it just showed up at the right time like when I was doing right. my own fast and I started using it and I definitely felt really good. So tell me a little bit about what that does and let's kind of go into a little bit about fasting.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the nature of fasting is this physiological condition that when we are fasted eating a low carb diet or a low calorie diet overall, our insulin levels tend to drop. And insulin is a, a hormone that does a ton of different things, but it really helps to regulate blood glucose levels. So if we're eating fewer calories, eating less carbs, eating less frequently, then we have these periods of time where the kind of oscillating insulin levels just go down. When insulin drops, then a hormone called aldosterone drops, and it's an adrenal hormone that's really, again, important for a lot of reasons, but it's critical in electrolyte management and it causes its relative levels cause the body to retain sodium and this is important for fluid balance, for having enough blood in our circulatory system so that the heart doesn't have to pump too hard. Uh, when one of the problems of dehydration is that people lose total fluid volume. And then each time the heart tries to contract, it doesn't actually get filled the way that it should. And so it has to start working faster to get the same type of, of work going. So, when people begin fasting, they will oftentimes notice that they have lethargy, fatigue. If they go from seated to standing, they may get lightheaded, and maybe even you know, uh, uh, kind of pass out or nearly pass out. And that is this whole natureesis of fasting story—a really slick way to deal with. You, you know, you you can fast and feel like garbage, or you could fast, address your electrolytes, and feel pretty darn good during the the whole thing, which I, I think really facilitates actually doing it or, or making it through a, you know, the transition phase of a low carb diet, like that keto flu in the, in the beginning. And I mean, you could have used pickle juice. You could have used chicken bouillon cubes. Uh, you, you could have used a a variety of different things, but you just want to get somewhere around like five, maybe upwards of 10 grams of sodium per day, in addition to some potassium and some magnesium. And that will offset this, this total, um, Kind of a uh, depleted state that you end up in when doing some sort of a, a fasting regimen, or or again low carb, or or what have you.
0: So basically, you're still able to maintain and stay in a fasted state, though, because it's not like what facet of the of the powder or the the cocaine in a stick allows you to
1: not break that fast. Well, so so I wrote my first article on fasting in 2005. And by 2006, I deeply regretted publishing it because it went out to the CrossFit community. And those people are so type A and over the top that it, it, it was like, I, six months down the road, I started getting like this, this form email, Hey, love your work. Uh, I, I do uh CrossFit. I, I intermittent fast, Um, I've had five grams of carbs in the last month. I do CrossFit six days a week on my days off. I do hot yoga and a 13 mile ruck March with a a 40 pound, you know, weight vest on. And, and these people end up with low libido, their hair is falling out and they're having all these problems. And so CrossFit is awesome, but it's a big stress. Uh, intermittent fasting is awesome, but it's a significant stress. You combine all these things together. And they're, they're, they're not just additive, they're multiplicative. And when we start multiplying stress, it, it, it can be really bad. So that, that's kind of a feature of this thing. The other feature is that fasting and the perceived benefits of fasting, like autophagy and, and cellular recycling and whatnot, it's not an on-off switch. It's a rheostat. You know, there's a, there's a dimmer switch element to it. The only time that we're really not experiencing autophagy in some sort of a consistent level is when we are chronically overfed. And really what's happening in that case is that the, the kind of pro-inflammatory signaling, the mTOR signaling that people are concerned about, it is just pegged on. It's like you, you, you know, stomp the, the accelerator in a car, you threw a brick on it, and you jumped out of the car. And, it's, and it's so, just going. What was that mTOR signaling? mTOR is the the gene signaling that people are really concerned about with fasting it's tied into on on the one side we need mTOR signaling to grow and repair muscle it's important for immune response it's um it's important for actually allowing the immune system to identify cancer. But the flip side is that if mTOR is turned on all the time, it is very pro-inflammatory. It's super linked with elevated rates of cancer and neurodegenerative disease. But what people have done, they've looked at the the fasting research, which usually is performed in animals that are chronically overfed, chronically inflamed. They're being fed a really poor quality diet, like these lab chow diets, because the, the scientists want to know exactly what the animals eat they basically feed them these pellets that are sugar, like whey protein and like corn oil. Like it's the worst quality, you know, nutritional thing that you could get. And then they have some vitamins and minerals in there. So these animals are kind of chronically sick, chronically overweight from just eating their, their kind of standard diet. If they eat less of that diet, intermittent fasting calorie restriction, they definitely have health benefits, but there's also like, I I did a talk at the beginning of 2020, which got nuked by, by uh, COVID. And so I'm going to end up releasing this thing, but it's called longevity. Are we trying too hard? And it digs into all this stuff. So people will get, get concerned that something say like element, or they, they have a cup of coffee and they want to put like some stevia in it or something that because the stevia may cause a transient increase in insulin levels that it kicked them out of their fast or, you know, blocked their fast. But even the work from, uh, uh, Walter Longo where he does a fasting mimicking diet, folks are doing like 500 calories a day. They're still getting these really remarkable benefits. So I I know it kind of wandered around there, but the, the, long and short is it, from my perspective, people take the fasting topic way too literal It's like, if you've got something that has four grams of, of, uh, maltodextrin or something, and it's what keeps you in the game so that you can stay in a 48 hour fast, that is not the thing to worry about. Like it, it's, it's not going to, um, kick you out of ketosis. It is not going to blunt autophagy. I I think that folks get far too serious uh, and, and literal in, in, you know, looking at those, those different things. So I I don't know if I fully answered the question, but that, that the the long and short is that there's a lot more latitude within this story of getting health benefits. If we, and it, this should be kind of intuitive, but if we just simply compare somebody who is really sedentary, significantly overweight, you know, insulin resistant, pro-inflammatory, and we compare their health to somebody who is lean, active in eating at an appropriate level, the Delta, the difference between those two people is stunning. And my, my thing is that I think that fasting is great. I think it's a really solid tool, but compared to the individual that is metabolically healthy and a a good body weight and all that type of stuff, I don't know how much more they're getting out of fasting compared to the difference that we're already getting relative to just being sick and and, and sedentary and all that. And it's not a pop position. Um, I'm, I'm definitely in kind of a minority on this, but a lot of folks like Peter Atiyah and Rhonda Patrick that have been very pro-fasting, I've noticed over the past couple of years, they've really pumped the brakes on that stuff and, and are kind of, I wouldn't say backpedaling, but they're soft-selling it a bit more. There's a little more nuance, like they're, the longer extended fasts are not quite as popular with them. And again, a, a flip side to all this stuff is as people age, um, everybody is going to begin losing muscle mass in their mid, mid to late thirties. And you can lift weights, you can eat adequate protein that will flatten that, that particular curve. <laughs> we we know that one will actually work to do that. Uh, a, a strength trained, a uh, 90 year old can be as physically fit as a, a non-strength trained 50 year old. So it literally can like double your health span, but it, it's, um, that fasting, if done too often, a little too frisky, it really makes me nervous, particularly for folks that are a little bit, you know, 35, 45, 55, and, and beyond, because it gets ever more difficult to maintain muscle mass. So, like, if somebody's using it as a calorie control technique, like they're unwilling to modify their dietary quality, but they're like, I'll eat whatever I want between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. and that works for them, awesome. I, I, am a little nervous about like really long extended fast, like a 48 hour fast, 72 hour fast once a quarter. I'm totally down with that, you know, a little time restricted eating, which, you know, I do that just because it, it's convenient. I'm, I'm totally down with that, but I've seen a lot of people kind of fast themselves to a degree that they look like if their car slid off of an icy road and they had to climb up an embankment to save themselves, it's like they're barefoot. Like they're, they're not going to make it. They, they're so weak right. and depleted that in the goal there, it ostensibly is that they want to improve the, the duration and quality of their life. But I think a, an extra day in the gym and a little more protein would have probably facilitated that better. Yeah. Well said. And, and then you
0: mentioned like the, the research done by Rhonda Patrick and some of these other notable people in the field. Is there a, a particular source where all you guys go to always see the latest studies and understand this because it's ever
1: changing? I mean, I, I have a couple of Google alerts around different different topics. And so um I have a couple of them around mTOR specifically and and mTOR and, and nutrient cycling, metabolic flexibility, intermittent fasting, time restricted eating. So I mean one of the the lazy ways to go about like you can actually go out looking specifically for things. Um and then the the more passive way is to set up some Google alerts so that when new articles arise. And even yeah. on PubMed, you can set it up so that, you know, different topics, it, it'll it land in your inbox. Yeah.
0: That's a really yeah. good life hack for everyone. Like you set up Google alerts for things that interest you. Uh, otherwise, yeah, if sure. you don't, Instagram will just throw things in your face instead. So <laughs> make sure you control I, that. Yeah. But yeah. In terms of the the main idea with fasting is sometimes people say you can drink coffee. Sometimes people say you can't. What's what's your stance on
1: that? I... I, I uh it's so funny again i i think that this is majoring in the minors like right. so we took the person from drink. so let's say they're they're standard american eating standard american diet they're eating 2500 calories a day now they're eating no calories or let's say they eat five calories somehow out of the coffee is that five calories really completely undoing the delta between 2500 calories and zero calories you know so okay, i'm kind of cool. like do coffee don't do coffee uh it is, it, at the end of the day, it's not, it, 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 in my opinion, and I, I think the science really supports this, it's not really going to change things. So one caveat I have there is that being in a fasted state is kind of adrenalized. You are really on. From an evolutionary perspective, people who are fasted tend to get these really nice windows of clarity and, and you know, focus and, and uh, kind of a weird energy. Which I think is part of the reason why folks like doing this. And that's great evolutionary wiring. If you're out of food, you it it's a great time to be creative and an awesome problem solver and to have outstanding focus. But you've only got a couple of days of window on that. And then eventually, like the the the, the tanks are empty, and you know, and yeah. then we start this downward slide. We start getting very, very cold. Our physical activity, like both uh, our desire to do physical activity and then just the little fidgeting that folks do, all of that stuff really decreases and the person just kind of spirals down. And so it's, um, you know, fasting has some really cool characteristics to it, but I I really view all this stuff like a tool and, you know, a handsaw. Is amazing. It's a phenomenal tool. A, a, you know, bandsaw is a phenomenal tool. But neither of those would be great to put a nail into, you, you know into a joint and, yeah. and bring wood together. You know, so I think it's folks end up kind of being a little blunt instrument with with things like fasting, and they they get hung up on like, well, is coffee going to be a problem? Oh, oh, and the the adrenalized thing. People are very energetic. And I think that coffee on top of that can be um, overstimulating. That was my whole yeah. whole point to that. I yeah, mean, that coffee, would be coffee
0: is just like the best. I mean, like, as a functional adult that doesn't partake in a lot of like other vices, coffee gives right. you that. I mean, you, you as when you age, you're just like that, that sipping that first cup of coffee is it's is like legal crack. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm not sure crack has that effect, but I assume it would do something like that. But it just right. makes you feel so freaking good. Uh, which, which begs me to understand too the question, just to kind of move this is you mentioned that you're doing the CrossFit stuff and all this. When I was younger, I used to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I would slam like, you know, chicken, rice, veggies. Like, and that's what we were used to do. I think that over time doing that is ultimately what caused my SIBO because I was never giving my body mm. a chance to digest. Now I feel like I'm at like my best health. I've probably had in quite some time, but I'm only having like one and a half meals a day. I'm not Mm -hmm. getting that much calories. Is do you need to bring in a certain amount of calories or is every body going to be completely different where some like star athletes can survive on 600 calories? Or is there like a pretty general understanding you need X um, to be at like your, your fittest?
1: There's a pretty good understanding that there's, there's a baseline of need, but I think that folks oftentimes overestimate that. And, and I don't know if you're eating a ketogenic diet or low carb diet, but there's, there's interesting kind of mythology and folklore in the ketogenic and low carb world that suggests that you can eat whatever you want. And as much as you want, so long as insulin is low, then you can't store fat. That was a hypothesis that was floated maybe in the early 2000s doesn't really seem to have penciled out. Like there've been a lot of studies on it and there's still, you know, battles back and forth, but I, I do still think calories matter. Hormones definitely matter too. And interestingly though, I think that when people eat a generally minimally processed kind of lower carb diet, I think they kind of need fewer calories and it may be, you know, less. So if you're eating a more mixed diet, you might need 2000 calories a day. Maybe you only need 1800 calories a day to maintain adequate body temperature and like, you know, reproductive hormones and, and, you know, growth and recycling of all your tissues and all that stuff. So I do. And also it's funny. Um, when I, I was always super, super active when we opened our our first gym, my activity level became less because even though I was on my feet, like I was a coach then and not really an athlete anymore. And so a lot of this elective time that I would spend doing activities previously, I, I was comparatively more sedentary. Then I got into online stuff like blogging and podcasting and writing books. And if you want to absolutely rot and destroy your body, do blogging, podcasting, and and book writing. You know, it's like when I hunker in to write a book, there's six months where I just barely move. You know, I get up and do some physical activity here and there, but the end of a book writing session, like I'm kind of broken, you know, because I, I just have to focus and get that stuff done. And so my physical activity is like half what it used to be. So my calorie needs are really a lot less. And I do... Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, three or four days a week. I lift weights a couple of times a week. But my base level activity versus when I was a kid or even like a young adult in college, I rode my bike five or 10 miles into college. And then those are the best I'd play days. ultimate frisbee. Yeah. I mean, it really was the best days. I, I tell my kids, you know, it's like, those are the best days of my life, you know, yeah. but, um, but my activity level is a lot less. And so even the nature of your work being online and, and doing this stuff, like it, it, it's just, it, it's different. Um, we, we received uh, uh, we live in Montana and so winter is going to be a real deal here. We received three cords of wood and I spent a couple of days cutting and stacking that. And like, I noticed that I got leaner in those three days just because my food was about the same, but like my, my basal energy output was probably double or triple what it normally was. Like I, I noticed just like veins pop up in my legs from from doing that because I didn't adjust my my eating because I wasn't just sitting on my ass. Well, it's, you it's know, interesting you mentioned thing. that. It's interesting you mentioned
0: that because you, you became your own little biohacker, right? And mm-hmm. every single one of us has that potential to become our own little biohacker. And it's like, we are only on this planet for so long. Why doesn't everyone take some time to learn their body and figure out what works for them? So like for me with Saibo, I went through like two years and it totally sucked. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. I did all the pills, herbs, all that. What ultimately helped me was the elemental diet. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm It was two weeks of drinking the juice every day. And then eventually that gave me that, you know essentially just freed up my system to decompose all that toxic waste that's been sitting in my, stu- my stomach for so long. And you can only imagine there's so many people right now that are suffering from disease that starts in their gut where serotonin's made, and they're not doing anything about it because they don't know, right? Like they don't know that sometimes you need to do a complete flush. So it's interesting just to be a person navigating this system, because I think there's a natural tendency to start off get really, really overwhelmed, give up, get overwhelmed, give up, get overwhelmed, have a breakthrough. And then all of a sudden you're like over the fence. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's been my, um, the folks that I really like working with are people like you, like they've ran the gauntlet of conventional medicine and it didn't have the answers. And then I'm kind of like, Hey, there's still a bunch of rocks we can, turnover. And the cool thing with it is, you know, with a a couple of days to weeks of experimentation, we'll we'll know, you know, and we can form a hypothesis and we can say, well, I think it's, you know, okay, we have SIBO, but is it like the, the variety of bacteria that is causing like a, a, a sulfur overproduction that like may slow gastric mobility, or is it a a, uh, acid production that is enhancing gastric mobility. And so, you, you know, and so then we can test those things and start figuring out where we go and what the next steps are. And, and it's super empirical. Like it's, it's not bullshit. Like we should be able, if the, it creates these logic trees and we can start going down these yes, no logic trees and eventually we'll get somewhere that is better than where the, the person is. Like my gut health is far better. Now I'm going to turn 50 in, in January, It's far better than what it was in my mid 20s. And I've continued to make little incremental improvements. You know, just this, this last two or three years, I've kind of noticed that fiber in general isn't great for me. So I do a a fair amount of like meat and seafood and everything. And then I do some fruit and that's kind of it. Like if I have a salad, it's a really small side salad and it's more like tomatoes and cucumbers and not really the leafy greens. The leafy greens kind of, kind of hammer me. So I've just continued to, tinker and iterate with that stuff but there is something that folks can do to improve like yeah. if you still have a pulse, there's somewhere north that you can go to improve things for sure. That
0: was the same for me. I realized the the fiber was actually what was destroying me and there's so much yeah. great books like fiber fueled and all these things that are just plant 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 but you know everybody is different and people hate hearing that because everyone just wants the answer and if you don't yeah. get the answer then you get some angry people you get opposition but at the end of the day, the answer is that there is no answer and the best answer is for you to learn as much as you personally can become your own professor so then you can make your own you know inferences about all this stuff
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: and it's interesting people like you are doing that now i want to just take a step back and more into like the business that you're building with element so t- talk me through like what has the process been of formulating your own packets and and how does one even go about that process? You find a factory, you figure it out. Like, like, can you t- talk us through like the
1: idea stage to that actually becoming a thing that ships to my house? Yeah. And it, like, uh, we didn't start off with the idea of being salt moguls like that wasn't remotely on our, our radar. Uh, I've done low carb diets for 23 years and I feel great in general on them, but the stuff I do tends to be kind of, glycolytic in nature, like physical activity, the jujitsu and kind of CrossFit stuff. And if I fuel for my best kind of like mental health and cognition, I I don't have that low gear that that one needs for wrestling and jujitsu and all that stuff. And I've just struggled with that over the years. I met these two guys, Tyler Cartwright and Luis Villasenor, who had founded this, this group called Keto Gains, where they use a smartly composed ketogenic diet. And they have a couple of hundred thousand people in there and man, people are just crushing it. Great body recomposition, good health transformations. And when I talked to those guys about what I was doing and kind of the challenge that I had, they, they looked at what I was up to. They're like, I don't think you're getting enough sodium. Like you need more electrolytes, specifically sodium. I'm a pretty good biochemist. I'm not afraid of salt. I salt my food vigorously. So I was like, oh, I think I'm okay on that. You know, of course, I'm talking to an expert and what do I do? I ignore their advice. Of course, that's what you do. You know, that's what everybody does. So about a year went by of me still pissing and moaning and like, oh, you know, I'm having these problems. We're like, no, man, really like weigh and measure everything, put it in chronometer. Let's see what you, you are really doing. And lo and behold, I was, I was getting, they were recommending at least five grams of sodium a day and I was only getting less than two. So I, I literally went and started like sipping pickle juice. And it was just like a light switch was flipped. I was like, oh my God. And then I went to jujitsu and I, I I had way more gas than what I normally did. And I didn't feel blown out and smashed afterwards. So I started really dil- diligently addressing my electrolyte needs. And part of what we did with that, these guys had, had cooked up this thing called keto which was like this much salt, this much no salt, which is potassium chloride, some magnesium citrate, lemon juice, stevia, water, shake it up, drink it. and we. Provided a downloadable PDF for this and just gave it away because we knew everybody in our space, like 99% of people were not properly addressing electrolytes. So it was a really big need that, that folks had. Six months down the road, we had a half million downloads of this guide. Like it just went like gangbusters, you know, wow. really, really big deal. And we weren't even savvy enough to make it like an email collection thing or anything. We were just like, hey, here's this, electrolytes are important, here it is. But we started getting tagged on social media where people were like, hey, love the keto KetoAid, but when I travel with three bags of white powder, the TSA doesn't like that, you know, And it, it, because they're humping this stuff around. And the, the folks that were following us requested that we do some sort of like a convenience play around electrolytes. So we looked into this and we, we started, uh, uh, tracking down, like who were some of the best formulators in, in the world on this stuff. We got, got our sourcing kind of, kind of buttoned up, um, because we cater to this kind of paleo low carb scene. They, these people are generally wonderful people, but they're also kind of the lunatic fringe, you know, uh, uh some people are aghast that we use stevia as a sweetener and other people like, Oh, this is great. And so we ended up coming out with initially with a citrus salt flavor and a raw unflavored, the citrus salt tastes really good. It's reminiscent of like Gatorade and most of the the sports drinks. And if it, the company failed as an electrolyte product, it makes an amazing margarita base. And so we literally launched with the idea that we would, pivot into like drink mixers if this thing failed as an electrolyte product. And then the the raw unflavored is for the people who are super purist about everything. And no matter what sweetener we used, it wouldn't be good enough or right enough. And it's like, okay, here's the raw unflavored and it has the gram of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, uh, 60 milligrams of, of magnesium. And we launched this initially within this kind of paleo low carb ancestral health space. And then have just kind of, kind of branched out from there. And now we have, um, all professional sports for the most part that, you know, we have contracts with and are, are going with that, uh, branches of the military, um, different health considerations. And it's grown remarkably quickly because it, it really is a, the cool thing, the really cool thing is that this is addressing a legit need. When people are electrolyte deficient, they feel like garbage. And then when they address the electrolyte issue, like if they just go swig some pickle juice, if they eat 10 olives and they were low in sodium before, like five minutes later, they're like, man, I feel a lot better. Because the the two most tightly regulated physiological processes in the body are pH and electrolytes. And if pH goes up or down a little bit, you'll feel very, very sick or you can die. And the same is true of electrolytes. So if those things are off a little bit, then... The first things you notice is like your cognition is a little off, your focus is kind of off, lethargic, fatigued. Once we get to the stage of people cramping, like they're electro, they're so far down the the insufficient electrolyte sodium story that it, it's really pretty significant. And so the cool thing from a product standpoint is somebody can go from feeling like garbage, they sip on something that is pleasant, pleasant tasting. And then five minutes later, it's literally like a light switch is flipped, and they feel wonderful, and they performance. performing yeah, I like to use it for- cognition. Yeah, yeah, I like to use it for the sauna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's indispensable for the sauna. Um, we've we've had the great opportunity to do some work with uh, some NHL teams and players, and these these are pretty big guys. They're not NFL size, but you know they're they're big dudes, two hundred plus pounds. They will lose ten pounds of water in the course of a a hard game. Or, or practice, and that may represent 10 grams of sodium that they lose at that time. So we can scale this, you know, based off of size of an individual and whatnot, but a sauna just so increases uh, sweating demands. And when we sweat, we lose sodium at about a hundred to one clip uh, relative to potassium. So not properly addressing sodium. Like if you want to be in the, the sauna for, um, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes to get those benefits of, of like the, uh, uh, the cardiac increased cardiac output from just the, the, you know, increased heart rate. You need about 20 minutes plus for that to really get the benefits of heat shock proteins that improve our resilience. You need about 20, 20 plus minutes for that. And then you want to actually be functional after that and adequate sodium. And again, like elements, a great option, but Pickle juice, olives, sardines, salami, you know, just generally making sure that folks have more sodium in and around that, that sauna period is such an important feature so that you can actually stay there long enough to get the full, full benefit from that activity a lot of times when people think about hangovers they think about not having enough
0: electrolytes and maybe that's like old adage I'm assuming it is old adage it is spot they-
1: on no it is spot on like a, a lot of the poisoning feeling is is a electrolyte imbalance and a lot of folks have noticed like if again if they use like something like element as a, a drink base or like they do one drink one element one drink one element you'll feel rough the next day like it still disturbs your sleep there's still problems with with those issues but it it mitigates the the nasties by like 50%. Like it's really profound how much it helps out.
0: Because the two major sources people go to right now are Gatorade and Pedialyte, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. it's interesting
0: we- that you're mentioning drinking these throughout the night while you're drinking.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you... The, the alcohol is a, a legit diuretic, so you're going to be dumping a lot of fluids, and then you'll be dumping electrolytes, you know, specifically sodium with that, and so it, it's a great way to, to stay ahead of all that stuff. You're still going to feel rough, but it's going to be less rough than what it would have been otherwise. Yeah, that's probably the most important thing that's been talked about today. But uh, it, Most it's important
0: life hack. <laughs> what I'm really curious about is the IVs. Um, some of my friends I've yet to do one and I, I really look forward to it, but some of my friends were telling me just like they had some really, really bad days where, you know, next thing you know, they're two, two bottles deep on some wine and they wake up and they have like their kids play and they're just screwed. They call over the, the IV guy to put an IV in for an hour and they feel good as new. Can you explain how that happens? And
1: is it literally that simple to just like cure a hangover using one of those IV things? Yeah. And I mean, some of these folks are getting pretty sophisticated. They're putting in some, uh, glutathione or some glutathione, uh, precursors and glutathione is one of our main antioxidants and super important in, in liver detox. But most of the, the kind of the headache, the fatigue, the, the, uh, brain fog is mainly from electrolyte depletion. Like it, it's, um, if anybody's ever gone from eating a pretty carby mixed, you know, standard American diet, and then went full keto, they they feel like they have a hangover for like three, four, five days. And it's because of that nature of fasting, the loss of sodium, which can be good for, for some circumstances. Like uh, if somebody is hypertensive and they have high blood pressure, that losing the sodium in the body water is really good initially. But then if you feel like garbage, indefinitely, then that, you know, it's going to be really hard to, to stick to that. But the, uh, the IVs can be really powerful. I think you can accomplish virtually all of that from just oral rehydration, but you have to really aggressively do it. It's worth noting that when, when Gatorade was first launched, like we had a, a, one of our customers go to the Gatorade Hall of Fame. They were at like a Florida Gators game. They went in there and checked it out. And in the package, it was one gram of sodium originally instead of the like 150 or 200 grams of sodium now. So they've dramatically increased the, the sugar and, and decreased the sodium in the product. And originally they were, they were really pretty spot on when they, they first had that.
0: Have you ever felt that throughout your career of doing all this different research, starting these different companies, writing all these New York Times bestsellers and doing all this stuff? Do you ever get really sort of depressed and just think like wow I haven't done shit in my life and like I'm not doing AXB even though you have these past accomplishments? Do you ever get that feeling that ultimately is like the the down before like the next come up and if so,
1: can you describe like what that's like and how you kind of get out of those feelings? Yeah, I mean, I guess to, in some ways like it it feels um like peeing into the wind sometimes <laughs> like you you go to uh you know, a major sporting event or something, you kind of look around, it's like people are really unhealthy, you know, and, and they're, they are, um, doing the best job they can. Uh, but, you know, people have pretty challenging, complex lives at this point, you know, like split families and, and, you know, unsure work environments and everything. And the, the one, something that, that I, I think is empowering, but also kind of insightful, the, the, Poorest folks in our society, if they walk into a Seven Eleven with like ten bucks in their pocket, they have more options for amazing tasting foods than like any Pharaoh of Egypt, any Roman emperor. Like the snack aisle, the the sodas, the energy drinks. Like there's more options there than has been available to like any ruler of of any empire up until maybe like. the 1950s or something like that, you know, and that is so powerful—a a way for people who are living a difficult life to have some control over one goddamn thing that makes them feel good, which is like food and and these these things like that, you know. And I, I think like uh, TV shows and social media and stuff like that can kind of plug into some of these things too. And it, it does feel overwhelming in that it's like, you know, like if I go if I travel and I end up at a jujitsu studio, usually somebody will recognize me if I travel and I go to a, a whole foods or a Trader Joe's, you know, so, Hey, you're Rob Wolf, you know, some, somebody will probably recognize me. If I go to the DMV, nobody recognizes me, you know, any, anywhere ever, you know? And so there's this whole huge demographic that, um, despite my best efforts, despite, you know, 20 years of work, I don't know how much impact I've, I've made on that. And, uh, uh, we, we did a project, uh, 10 years ago with the Reno police and fire department where we identified folks. It's, it's well understood within police and fire circles that these folks tend to die young. And our thought around that was that some preventable metabolic disease processes were going on. And if we could find these people early and intervene and the people that were really sick, we could get some benefit. So we did some advanced testing. Um, Uh, found 40 of the most high risk people within the police and fire departments in Reno, uh, via advanced testing, got these folks, a health coach got them moving towards kind of a lower carb paleo type diet, modified their sleep and exercise, got some buy-in from the leadership. So that even though these people are still on shift work, they were much more consistent before that It, it was like a randomized shift work. And if you want to destroy people in quick order, like randomizing their sleep is, is an amazing, amazing way to do that. But, Based off the results we got from that, that program, it's estimated we saved the city of Reno about $22 million and with a pretty conservative 33 to 1 return on investment with that, that program. So I've been working for 10 plus years to try to scale this thing. And like I did a little bit of work with the Chickasaw Nation. They, they developed a similar initiative and they have kind of been growing that internally and doing some work on it. Uh naively, when we first wrapped up this thing in Reno, and this was probably back in 2011, I guess, I was like, oh, within five years, we're going to transform medicine. And, you know, clearly medicine is not transformed yet. Because <laughs> in my mind, I was like, dude, this is like Moore's law applied to medicine. Like, it, you know, it should get cheaper and better and we should be able to do better things because we're doing stuff right and, uh, and who can turn down a 33 to one return on investment? Like, even if we scale it and it's a 10th of that, like a three to one return on investment, like if, if you give me a dollar and I give you three, when do you want to stop that? Like never, right. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's amazing. I guess, it's a, so, I guess it's a little
0: bit like Bitcoin, no matter how yeah. good the deal is, someone's always going to be skeptical. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, so we've, I've continued to try to scale that, but it's, um, the pathology of the medical system is is the only thing that's larger than the pathology that is in the people within, you know, our, our, our system at large. It is so broken. All the incentives are so oblique and and damaged. Um, interestingly, right before COVID, and I had predicted this a couple of years ago, I told my wife, I'm like, we're gonna start getting some reach outs from people in Central America and some developing countries that are facing this diabetes epidemic, but because they don't print their own money, they're going to have to figure out a way to no joke deal with this epidemic that is, is poised to bankrupt Western societies. And so there was a, uh, a small nation in the Caribbean and then a nation in Central America that reached out to me and they wanted to spin up these uh, early diabetes metabolic health uh, initiatives and try to get people focused back on traditional foods and decouple from the uh, industrial, you know, food system, the the global industrial food system. Unfortunately, COVID completely nuked all of that. And I think worsened and, and deepened a lot of these problems, but the, there are solutions out there, you know, and, and it, it, it is interesting going outside of the United States might be the place. So, so my next thought, like kind of the next thing is maybe going outside the United States to try to get buy-in with folks that, are only a couple of generations removed from a legit traditional food system that fed and watered them wonderfully and kept them healthy, and it, it had a diversified economic impact because more of their populace was involved in the production of the food, more of the food was consumed locally, and there was, you know, pride associated with that and everything. And so that's some of the stuff that I'm I'm looking uh, forward to. But I don't think uh, you know continue working within kind of Westernized societies on this stuff, but there's so much inertia and money put into kind of selling the the opposite perspective on this that I think it's easier to just kind of go around that and go to a spot where that isn't happening yet.
0: Yeah. You could talk on so many different topics. I really want to get like a three hour podcast with you in the future. Uh, it's interesting how no matter what people need something bad to happen a lot of times before they'll make a change. And I was even the same way, right? Like, you have to have something bad happen. And then you're like, oh, shit, like, I can't just push this back anymore. I have to make this happen. Uh, It's interesting that no matter what we could know, like smoking's bad for us. And but like, if nothing's happened, and you haven't had lung cancer, you're fine. The issue is, is whenever that first thing happens, you just hope that it's not the end of the things. It's something that's preventable and curable. So if you're having issues, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because you'd rather have those issues than something 10 X worse. The bigger one later.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And we're always growing that and just always trying to get more. And, And that must crush you just as like a health person. That's always trying to get people better to just not seeing people take the advice um, but it is also really interesting that you built a community and you've been in this space long enough where people recognize you when you go around and you have changed lives, you're actively speaking on these things. When you're wrong, you say you're wrong. When there's advice, you say, hey, this is advice. This isn't fact. And I think that's a big reason that's been s-
1: such a huge part of your success. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've I've um, had a couple of mentors that ended up being huge narcissists, and I've tried to do exactly the opposite of what they've done. And it actually, it it was, uh, you know, you, you learn both uh, what you might want to emulate and those things you don't want to emulate from certain mentors and, and, you know, influential folks and uh, really trying to remain humble and open to change. And, you know, there aren't too many hills that I will like die on. And, you know, this is an emphatic, you know, truth. I, I think that there are generalities that, can be applied. And then we have to get in and start getting granular so that we, you know, it's germane to each individual person, which is, I think kind of that biohacking ethos and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I love
0: it. So if you could go back and I know we are coming up on time here and and you're, you got a million things you got to do, but if you could go back in time uh, before you wrote any of these books, maybe like right after school, and you could have told yourself one, two or three things that could have saved you just a ton of time, money, headache, heartache, And a great answer is I wouldn't have done anything because it made me who I am today, right? But what are some of those things that, you know, looking back maybe at 20, you could have wished you told yourself and implemented? I
1: I was super impatient at 20. And like the notion of working on something for two or three years just seemed insurmountably long. But the reality is that three years is gonna come and go no matter what. And you you have a choice between you know, like whether you want to learn guitar or language or whatever, like, can you carve out an hour a day, you know, an hour, every two days to invest in this thing, whether it's writing a book or a business idea, or, you know, developing a skill set like a language or, or musical instrument. And I was just really impatient. Like I, I just kind of wanted stuff to happen now. And I really wish that I had, I had learned that, um, chop wood, carry water kind of perspective a lot earlier and that it, it you know that a little, it's, um, compound interest, you know, I don't need to do the whole thing today, but I need to do something today. And then I do a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more tomorrow, you know, 1% better because that compound interest, once I'm three years into practicing guitar, learning a language, learning some coding, you know, whatever it is, um, I've really got somewhere, you know, like if somebody's going to jujitsu, three days a week and they're they're you know four or five years into it, they're probably getting close to their purple belt or something, which is legit. Like that is a, that is a really legit milestone within uh, tackling, a, you know a, a career in Brazilian jiu Jitsu. you're probably halfway to your black belt by by that point. And it didn't happen all at once. It just you showed up, you logged the time. and and I was late figuring that out. like I really wish that I had looking back, when I had all the energy and all the piss and vinegar and everything like I, which to your point is part of the reason why I didn't do it. Like I could still kind of out muscle things and just work harder than everybody else. But God, I wish I had been a little smarter with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't always, you won't always stay young. At some point you might have kids. Like I have a seven and nine year old daughters and there's just kind of, no matter what type of like time saving life hack I do or whatever, I'm still a dad. I'm still a husband. There's still those, needs there. And so like the window of the amount of, of uncommitted windows of time that I have now relative to pre-kids it's a joke. Like I thought I was busy before. Like I was just a slapdick and had no idea how much free time I had on, on my hands. You know, I just thought I was busy prior to that. So I wish I had learned some of those things before and been able to, to drive things a little bit further, a little bit faster before. Ideally you can learn that somehow before having a kid, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's awesome, man. I appreciate you so much. How, how can, if everyone wants to get more Rob Wolf in their life, You have a podcast, you have a show. How can people get more of
1: you? We do have a podcast. The name of the podcast is Healthy Rebellion Radio. And then we have a community with the same name, the Healthy Rebellion. I do a lot of writing for Element, and that is over at drinkelement.com. And so I, I do writing on fasting, ketogenic diets, and all kinds of different things. I do have social handles like Instagram and all that stuff, but I literally, I write stuff and have my assistant post it. And I just... I can't go on there anymore. Like I, I'm trying to figure out, this is a next step. I'm trying to figure out if I spin up like a, a sub stack or something like that, and really try to aggregate my presence in places that I, I feel like aren't openly antagonistic to our health and well-being and the censorship deal and everything. Like I'm, I'm disinclined to provide any additional value to some of these tech platforms. But at the same time, they're also an amazing medium for reaching people. But I, I've been doubling down on trying to uh, go on, a, you know, high-value podcasts like yours because it's an opportunity to get some of these ideas in front of folks and then, you know, circumvent some of the what I see as being squirrely stuff going on within the social media scene. If I could wave a magic wand, I so wish we could bring our, ourselves back to like. 2005, 2006. Everything's on a blog. Everything's on a forum. There is no Facebook. There is no Instagram. That was really kind of a, a golden age where, it, and forums could get crazy. Like you could end up with trolls and everything. But there was just a, a, at least the algorithm itself wasn't like pitting us against one another. I think when you're you're dealing with an environment like that, like it's really tough to navigate that successfully.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. And then if you do one thing wrong, the shadow ban and. Interesting times yeah. though. Interesting times. There's never uh, a lack of stimuli in today's world. It's just no. figuring out the, the your best way of navigating it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right,
0: Rob. We appreciate you, man. Till next time, I hope we can run this back again because there's so much and I appreciate I- you, man.
1: Ian, I will bring down property values anytime you want to do it. So thank you. <laughs> All right, man. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode. Remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep
1: making moves. Till next time. Peace.